Hey everybody, it's Drew. I just wanted to say thank you all for your patience. I know we're a week behind on this recording, but Flucky wanted to make sure that the play that Puppeteer put on was quality and well thought of because it is pivotal to the character and uh, you know Puppeteer's Fergus's current situation. So thank you all so much, and you know thank you all for sticking with us and listening. And I know everybody asks this on podcasts, but if you could throw us a review, we would absolutely love it. Give us a little more, I don't know, exposure. Maybe somebody else out there will find us interesting. So here is Fergus's play in three parts. has himself, his um, pseudo-son, and his cast holed up in a tower somewhere or like the basement of an office building. He chooses a structure um, for their writing room and rehearsal space that has some sort of like, that has a particularly high amount of that like fallen grandeur kind of quality you were describing about the whole future realm one of the first things he does is make uh one extremely accurate replica of his mask from his earth time when he was a, a flesh bag his his flat expressionless white mask that he called abandoned hope or abandoned, not abandoned. So he makes a copy of Abandoned Hope. And then he makes uh, several smaller white masks, some with the comedy face, some with the tragedy face, some with other emotion emotions like worked into the face. Um, these aren't big enough to wear, but they're big enough, they're the right size for any of the beings that he's been given as his cast to hold in the palm of a hand, in a tentacle. They could, like, attach to a, a ear hole or something. I, y'all, y'all all just let your imaginations run wild on this. While he's doing that, he's taking time to, to write as we've covered previously. So, the prologue that he writes up is as follows. There's going to be a prologue, three acts. So the prologue begins in the middle of the scene. He's in the puppeteer, is in the 
throne room of eminence present. And he's delivering a speech about why he's returned and why he's offering sensitive information about Majesty Future. And he says that, you know, Future is a, a nihilist who uh, doesn't, who's forgotten how to see anything positive in the universe, who is like jaded and cynical and shouldn't be allowed to control anything because it's just too sort of dark and grim and hopeless. And while he's going on about this in grand poetic terms, in like rhyming couplets or something, one of Eminence Presence, you know, courtiers, hangers-on, sycophants, walks by him and he, puppeteer, sort of palms one of the small masks to him. Now, the function of the big mask, I forgot to mention, the function of the big mask is to denote who, which of the cast members is playing puppeteer at the moment, because no one person is going to play him. So at the beginning of the show, someone like slips the mask on and they, they become puppeteer. So then that person hands another person a small mask, and that signifies that they're being influenced by him. They're being puppeted. And so the, the action of the show follows the person holding the small mask as they walk away from the throne room. They sneak down lower and lower into this area where uh, a huddled group of figures is waiting. These represent the, the rebels that he met, that Fergus actually met in Presence Realm, the malcontents there. And the, the, the puppet meets them and just like gives a signal and they burst into this room, which is designed to resemble the hangar where all of Presence ships are. And they start activating ships and just like putting them on autopilot to smash out of the chamber. They bust up some of them. They're like opening the fuel tanks. They just create havoc down there. While this is happening, they're conspicuously avoiding one ship. And Puppeteer and Present and a bunch of other figures burst into the scene like, what's all this then? And while the uh, while the rebels sacrifice their lives for him, Puppeteer hops on the last untouched ship and flees home to his original Earth. So that's the end of the prologue that he's writing, basically. In Act 1, he scuttles the ship uh, after... He, he, he scuttles the ship somewhere in... Illinois, and returns to Stringersburg, takes some time there to sort of survey the scene, and he sees all the other metas there fighting each other. He sees um, what in the real world is the MHTF, what he calls in the world of the play the Normality Corps. He sees them running around trying to stomp on everybody and create this illusion of order and control. So he, he briefly makes satirical, poetic comments about some of the metas 
there. There's one that is sort of like inner peace, somebody that like instigates fights among other metas, but tries to like keep their own hands clean. And Puppeteer basically calls this person a coward and a hypocrite. There's someone who's like Kinetica, who's like well-intentioned and has a lot of power, but just like smashes stuff to bits and is kind of heedless and then just leaves, just walks away from everything. And Puppeteer like accuses this person of being cold-hearted and stupid. But he saves his most damning comments for, for the Normality core. He says something about how they're trying to win a game of shuffleboard on a sinking cruise ship or something like that. Maybe it's something more like they 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 try so hard to keep the eggs from slipping out of their hands that they crush them all. I don't know, something along those lines. But then he leaves Stringersburg for a time, and Act 1 has a sort of montage of him showing up in different places. Um, in each spot, somewhere in America, there's a person who's really smart and unhappy and kind of special, and they probably don't really know why. And Puppeteer appears to them in one guise or another. So, like, the main mask is sort of moving from one cast member to another. As Puppeteer meets and talks to each one, he he's like, I know who you are. I know what happened to you. It happened to me. And he's like, let's tell everyone the story of how they thought they had control. So he's like recruiting each of the other psychics who were created as a result of Project Ultraviolet, um, the same failed CIA mind control project that created him. As he does this, though, as he's like talking to these characters, he slips a small mask into each of their hands. So it's not just that like... Like, maybe as he's writing this, Fergus is, is unaware that he's implying that he's taken control of them. Or maybe he's totally aware of it. It's hard to say. But he does the same thing for them that he does for people that he uses his mind control on. So he gathers up all the other Project Ultraviolet survivors. And they combine all their different psychic powers to quietly, invisibly bring down the CIA and infiltrate the U.S. government. Um, Fergus never uses the, the name the United States, but anybody watching who knew his Earth would know that's what it was. So they have their... They, they install either themselves or further puppets in control there, and that's the end of Act 1. Act 2 of Fergus's Great Tragedy begins with the Normality Corps, the Norm Corps, aggressively expanding around the globe. They're responding to the self-destruction of the CIA, the way the CIA and big chunks of the U.S. government implodes after their secret projects are exposed. Puppeteer is traveling the world at this point, 
But everywhere he goes, the norm core is just a couple steps behind. He, you know, enjoys various idyllic locations for a minute. He goes to, like, Crete or some, you know, other Greek island. He goes to Nepal. He goes to Siberia. It's beautiful to him. He doesn't have a body anymore. Places like that. But everywhere he goes, he's only there for a short amount of time before this whole repressive apparatus starts showing up. So, every time he sees that happen, it happens three times, of course, law of storytelling, he sees them approaching, he can, like, feel the presence dimly at first, but then he sees actual, like, uniformed agents, you know, big vehicles and stuff, satellites. And the first two times he has a short soliloquy to the audience where he's like, you know, I, I could do something here. I could take command of this. But that's not... That's not valid. That's not anything. That's futile. It's all vain to think you can control things. But then there's a scene where he's in some place... I couldn't make up my mind if it was Russia or China, but it's somewhere with a big state apparatus. He's there, and he observes. He's out in some remote place, because it's beautiful, and he stumbles on this facility, and he sees the local government there with the Norm Corps there. They have this research facility... And it all looks very familiar, and of course, they're doing here what the CIA did back home. They've got this psychic program. And Puppeteer can't let that slide. So, he has this realization... He gives a speech describing this realization that, well, if this, if more than one state is doing it, maybe all states are doing it. Maybe everywhere around the world, people like a younger version of me are being twisted and experimented on, made into instruments of control. So, he's like, I I could run around the world for the rest of my life figuring about all of these one by one, or I could figure it out in one stroke by getting inside the norm core. So, he infiltrates the normal core, working his way slowly up the chain until he reaches the highest level of access and authority, and he finds out where all the psychic programs are in the world, and he goes around liberating them all. And by liberating, I mean he gives them the same little mask token 
that he gave the other psychic characters before. You know, he hands each of them a thing as he, so, so to speak, frees them, and is like, they don't control you anymore, or something like that. Something ambiguous. They were foolish to think they could control you. Something along those lines. And of course, everywhere he goes, every nation state he goes to that has one of these programs, when he pulls people out of it, he doesn't just do that. He also exposes them to the world. And so by the end of Act Two, governments around the world are crumbling. Act Three begins with his whole cast sort of changed. A group of like four or five of them um, costume up, and they are locked into these roles for the rest of the play. No more switching around like they've been doing. And these, let's say five, these five are a plucky band of meta-human heroes from around the world. Let's even say one of them's not a meta. One of them is, you know, like a power suit or something. Um, a Batman, uh, whatever. In the context of all these world governments being destabilized, they are all convinced They've, they've come together because they're convinced that some supervillain is behind it all. So, there are scenes of them, you know, looking for this conspiracy, and they finally track down one of the other psychics. One of the puppeteer's psi friends. Um, and there are fights, of course, heroic battles. When, uh, when this first psychic friend is defeated, he or she, you know, lying on the ground, it's like, oh, the show must go on, or it's curtains for me, or something like that. Some theater metaphor for what's going on with them, for, like, being taken out. And one of the one of the plucky heroes starts to realize something. There's a um, you know late night research binge kind of scene where one of them has you know gone back through all these old files that he found in a weird place, or um, she's like visiting all of these old contacts who are broken down now, but who have some scrap of truth still in them, yada yada yada. Anyway, they track Puppeteer back to Stringersburg. They don't know who he is yet exactly, but they suspect. They go back to the Berg, and they're gearing up for a big, decisive attack on his lair which is his old lair in the subway system, but expanded throughout the whole city. He just sort of connected all of the old tunnels and built whatever he wanted in there. But um, the center of it is still that 
small, lonely room where he makes puppets by himself behind a huge door that has no key. So this, you know, our heroes fight their way through, you know, traps and automata and other, probably just those two things. Um, they're like fighting their way through the lair toward the center and they, they, they're outside the door and they're calling him out. They're getting ready to like blast the door open or something. And then all the tunnels collapse. So they're buried in this rubble and puppeteer comes out and he's like floating over them. Of course he monologues and he says that, well, okay. So for this whole show, Fergus has been hiding himself under something. He's found some sort of material um, here in future that obscures him to most senses. And he makes a sort of director's box out of that. So he's just puppeting this cast of, you know, a dozen or so people that future put at his disposal. Um, he hasn't appeared personally at all, but for this last scene, there's a sort of slow switch as the uh, cast members who have been playing him um, hand off the, the main mask from one to the next, they deliver parts of the monologue. But when it seems like there's no one left to hand it off to, he appears and he takes the mask and he finishes the speech, which is the close of the play. But the monologue is basically just, you know, a couple of key notes from it. One of them is like, well, this is, this is the overall argument of it. It would be in much longer form, it would be in like iambic pentameter or something, but the the key parts of it are like, I never wanted to control the world. Not even this tiny, insignificant world, which is prey to the whims of things more powerful and more strange than we can even imagine. And there are some images sort of in the background of this point. One of them is meant to look like present. One of them is meant to look like future. One of them is sort of a caricature of past who he has no idea what um, emperor past or whatever looks like. Uh, and also one of them looks like the sort of horrible Lovecraftian tentacle monster that almost ate him when he was on his way to future's realm. But he, well, you know, those pop up and he continues, all I ever wanted. And he's, he's arranged the prone bodies of, of the heroes in front of the audience so that as he can be seen to address them, he's also addressing the crowd, which is to say he's also addressing the audience 
which is future. That's how he's rehearsing it anyway. I, I guess he hasn't actually performed this yet, but anyhow, he's just like, you know, I never wanted to control the world. Not even this, like, tiny little world. It's like, all I ever wanted was to show you the tragic folly of thinking you had control. So, that's what he's written. And while the show is in rehearsals, he hardly gives his cast a moment to themselves. They are under his control pretty much all the time, except maybe while they're asleep. And the plan, what he's planning to do is, when the show is over, like at that dramatic moment, you know, the big, when he, when he ends on the big line, he'll like release them from his control and just stop mind controlling them. He hasn't told anybody that's what he's doing, but from what you've said about his horrible fake pseudo-son, I think he, he would probably intuit this. Um, he would, you know, there's probably some scene with him, like, leering over Puppeteer's shoulder, looking at his script notes or something, and he's like, Oh, Daddy, I know what you're up to, or, you know, something like that. But he's doing all of this under as much secrecy as he can manage, like not being out in public, not being seen, not letting his cast out. It's like treating their, you know, rehearsal space like a fortress. Um, that kind of thing. But when he's finished writing and rehearsing it, he's gonna wearily look up at his son, who's, like, crouched in the corner staring at him or something. <laughs> That's kind of how I picture this guy. He's gonna look up at him and just be like, Would you... Would you tell their majesty the performance will be tonight? Or, you know, some other way of being like, Alright, I'm ready. Um, I just wanted to put that checkpoint in here in case there were other events taking place that we needed to cover. Um, if not, we can proceed directly to him performing this show and the aftermath of that. <laughs>